Welcome to Beltway Talk, the podcast of the American International Automobile Dealers Association, where we examine the intersection between Washington politics and the auto retail industry. I'm your host, Hannah Oliver. Today's episode of Beltway Talk is brought to you by Kerrigan Advisors, the leading sell-side advisor for high-value dealerships. At Kerrigan Advisors, we believe dealerships are too valuable to be sold any other way. Find out more at AIADA.org. I'm joined on today's podcast by Aaron Kerrigan, who is the founder and managing director of Kerrigan Advisors. Many of our listeners are already very familiar with Aaron and her leading work in the dealership buy-sell space. And she's joining us again for the first time in 2021 to talk about the recently released Blue Sky Report and what she sees for the year ahead. Welcome back to Beltway Talk, Erin. Well, thank you so much for having me again. We are really glad to have you with us under far better circumstances than the last time. I know you were on Beltway Talk. It was, I believe, spring 2020. Um, So before we dive into um, what I wanted to talk to you about today was the Blue Sky Report, can you just remind listeners what Kerrigan Advisors does for dealers and um, your role in our industry? Of course. Again, thank you, Hannah, for having us. Kerrigan Advisors is the leading sell-side advisor to higher value transactions in our industry. In addition to that service, the sell-side service, our firm also provides consulting services to growing dealership groups. And we also raise capital for dealers who are looking for outside capital investors to help fund their acquisition strategy. Okay, so I know that you guys um, released your newest Blue Sky report in March, I believe. Um, From what I've seen, it's pretty good news for dealers in the overall industry. Could you start off by highlighting some of the big picture takeaways of your most recent report? Sure. I think the biggest takeaway is that the buy-sell market is highly active right now and Mm -hmm. valuations are at record levels. So it, it is an exciting time to be both a a seller, because I I do believe many families are capitalizing on what could be a once in a lifetime kind of valuation situation, given the tremendous strength in earnings that the industry has experienced since coming out of, of lockdown. It's also an incredible time for buyers because access to capital is as good as as we've seen it in a very long time and interest rates are very low. So buyers, especially strategic buyers, those that are already in the industry, have a tremendous amount of cash flow and, and they are allocating it to acquisitions and the opportunity really to grow in an industry that continues to outperform all other retail in the United States. Mm -hmm. I know that you reported that the industry was extremely profitable in 2020, um, which really helped to fuel the buy-sell market. Could you tell us more about this and how it compared with dealership revenue? Certainly. You know, once again, auto retail defied the norm in most retail industries, which is in a declining revenue environment, revenue was down about 7% uh, year over year for the average dealership. We saw earnings rise 48% for the mm. average dealership, which is pretty stunning stat. And, and it really highlighted the nimble nature of the auto retail business model and that we really are a four-pronged business model that can be very dynamic in the face of 
of disruption, which is exactly what we had, a shocking disruption Mm -hmm. in 2020, dealers quickly uh, were able to adjust not only the their margins which we saw of course their margins increased dramatically on the new and used front but they were also able to adjust their expense structure because a large percentage of an auto dealership's expense structure is variable in nature and therefore when volume declines as it did the dealers were able to to adjust down their expenses and and create really what the most profitable year we've ever seen in our industry and and certainly the most abrupt change in profits that we've ever seen. I I don't think we've ever had a year where earnings increased on average almost 50%. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's a crazy year. Um, (laughs) And dealers were very nimble, so that was evident more than ever um, to me. And what what was most dramatic is that the highest margin part of our business, fixed operations, was down mm. quite significantly. And so the fact that our industry was able to still achieve record profits when when our 50% gross margin business went from being 50% of our rev of our gross profit to 44%, that is it's really an incredible testament to the resilience of the business model as it stands today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so kind of moving on to the valuation side of the equation, talk to us for a minute about dealership valuations, both um, on the private as well on uh, the private family owned side of the industry, as well as with the publicly traded groups. What kind of trends are you seeing for both of those? Sure. So on the private side, we saw the average blue sky value increased 20% by the end of 2020, which was also a record increase and a record valuation. It's just approaching $8 million on average uh, for the the industry. Of course, their their dealerships and franchises are valued much more than that, and, and in some cases less. And of course, that was driven really by the tremendous rebound in earnings. Now, as as we continue to see earnings sustain 24th quarter 2020s levels in 2021, we expect that valuation to continue to rise. Now, how long that goes on, of course, I don't have a crystal ball, but Mm -hmm. we expect valuations in 2021 for the average private dealership to increase uh, throughout the year. As it relates to the public companies, they they really did have a remarkable run. So the mm-hmm. Kerrigan Index, uh, which is an index that we created that that is structured just like the S and P five hundred, it's market cap weighted and it's indexed to two thousand. It includes the seven publicly traded auto retailers, the largest auto retailers. We do have some new entrants, so it doesn't include them yet, but mm-hmm. uh, all the ones that everyone knows, and that index had an unbelievable year. It outperformed the S&P 500 by over 200% in mm-hmm. 2020. And for, I know, and, and, and surpassed <laughs> the, the, the all-time high that we had had and, and surpassed the thousand benchmarks. So we, we, again, if you think about it, if you invested $100 in the index in 2000, you'd have a thousand over a thousand dollars now is that how you should think about how that index works and wow. um but it hit 
it hit a low of about 500 in uh, 400, 500 in the March 2020 timeframe. So it was up 238% um, in the year, which, which is incredible. And we're seeing that same. So what does that mean? That means that the public's um, their multiples, their blue sky multiples, as we analyze them and, and analyze their valuations, are now trading at a blended level of eight times. And whereas the private uh, companies are trading around a four and a half multiple, four and a half, five multiples. So what does that mean? That means that most acquisitions are accretive, very accretive to earnings. And, and therefore, we expect that these companies, as they have announced uh, quite a bit, will continue to be very acquisitive as the industry consolidates. That sure sounds like it, which kind of leads me to my next question was, um, in terms of acquisitions, could you just talk about the trends you saw in 2020 for public and private? Just kind of big picture, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Sure, sure. Well, you know, one uh, we do continue to see a trend of of the family-owned dealership group exiting the business. And, and what we're seeing is that the private dealer groups that are growing in our industry are oftentimes partnering up with outside capital to do so. So to give you a sense, in 2014, about 5% of dealerships were owned by the by by families who had some sort of capital investor and as we look at the top 100 now that's over 11 percent so that's that's quite a that's more than doubling of of the private dealers who now have partners effectively at, whereas the family owned dealership group is is more and more uh, representing a smaller percentage of, mm-hmm. of the industry the public's interestingly have had for a long time stayed pretty stable in the number of dealerships they own but now we're seeing a dramatic increase the public the two public dealership groups asbury and lithia had a record year of spending a record for the industry as well at 2.5 billion dollars of acquisition spending in the u.s on dealerships in 2020 and and that was by far the most ever spent in a single year in our industry. I believe 2021 uh based on the announcements we continue to hear uh could be another record year for mm-hmm. public acquisition spending on acquiring dealerships again because these companies have tremendous access to capital from their free cash flow tremendous access to capital from the public markets. Uh, they can raise uh, bonds and and raise stock at their incredible valuations today. And so they're tapping into all that, as well as, of course, financing, just traditional financing, to, to allocate capital to our consolidating industry. Mm. Well, it's all very interesting. And obviously, um, again, just speaks to the resilience of the auto retail space. Um, I know you talked about this just a minute ago, but I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the Kerrigan Index and just how well it performed last year. Um, I know you mentioned past 1,000. What's fueling this impressive growth in in the auto sector? You know, what what's really fueling the 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 growth in investor interest in auto retail stocks is that it our industry is is the largest retail industry in the U.S. at over a trillion dollars of 
of capital of consumer spending. Mm -hmm. And yet it's the most fragmented retail industry in the US. We still have about 8,000 owners of about 17,000 franchises. So the average dealer owns just uh, around two dealerships. And as investors look at this industry, they see first of all an industry that that far outperformed the rest of the con- of of the country in terms of the economy and was able to to grow profits in a very challenging time but more importantly they see a place where they can allocate a lot of capital because there is a there is a view that we will continue to see consolidation and and see transformation in the industry as as digitalization uh, becomes a bigger part of how we retail and as as the while electrification does pose some challenges, it also poses opportunities. And, and I think a lot of the investors see that as, as, as a potentially transformational time for retail, auto retailers to really leverage technology and become even more profitable than they have been in the past as, as we see scale play into profitability in a, in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. So you talk a little bit about the investors, but what are Wall Street investors looking for when they're going to invest in the auto retail industry? And for our listeners who are, you know, dealers, um, what does this mean for them as they plan for the future? Well, I, I think that that the Wall Street investors are are looking, like all investors, they're looking to for industries that have earnings growth potential. And that's what our industry has. So that's what gets these investors excited. I I will share one concern that I think some have in the industry that isn't playing into the valuations right now, but um, is something that that we keep a close eye on as we re- as it relates to our blue sky multiples, and that is the the franchise business model that the OEMs present. And mm-hmm. I will say that Volvo's announcement, a uh, rather abrupt announcement that they were going to go to all electric and more importantly, sell direct to consumer and have a one price mm-hmm. was pretty jarring simply for the fact that if you look at why we are so successful as the industry and why we can handle so many different disruptions and bounce back so quickly it really is because we have we have pricing power and we're mm-hmm. able to adjust pricing based on supply and demand and if if our if our pricing was was fixed such that we could not adjust based on supply and demand then mm-hmm. you would not have seen what we were able to achieve in 2020 and continue to achieve in 2021 occur because our fate would be tied to volume alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important point and something that as we look into the future as to what drives franchise multiples, it's going to be those OEMs that really have a partnership business model that understand that the dealer network is is critical to their success and Mm -hmm. and the dealers need to have a profitable business model as well as the oems and and don't look at the dealers in a as a cost but rather as a as a as a revenue generating 
engine that they are. I think mm -hmm. those OEMs such as Toyota are going to see their franchise values continue to grow in the future. But I will say that as we continue to see these changes in our industry in terms of the kind of vehicles we're going to sell and the way we sell them, uh, I think that those OEMs that do not spend a lot of critical time analyzing how their dealership business model is going to work as they institute these changes are, are going to lose out on valuation uh, on, the, on the franchise valuation and the multiples in the future. That makes a lot of sense. So that really feeds well into my next question about um, which franchise brands saw the highest level of buy-sell activity last year and just general other trends you saw in that area and what you're expecting for 2021. So interestingly, the import luxury captured a much larger share of the buy-sell market in 2020, about 20% of franchises mm -hmm. sold, which is is much higher than the than their representation in the general franchise uh, market share. Mm -hmm. And that was at the expense of domestics and a little bit of import non-luxury. We believe that the reason that we saw an increase in luxury import luxury franchises uh, sell in 2020 is twofold. One, the valuations were incredible for these franchises. And many of these dealers are, are facing some expensive facility improvements. And so rather mm -hmm. than... Then, then expend that capital on this single purpose property, they chose to exit at these sky high values. Mm. On the flip side, the buyers are very keen on luxury because it the, the luxury sales in our market far outperform non-luxury. In fact, mm -hmm. luxury sales were up in 2020. Yeah. Mostly because the luxury consumer was was relatively unscathed uh, economically by by the pandemic last year, and so the the business model of the luxury franchise is is pretty darn attractive. There tend to be, especially the top import ones, tend to have fewer dealers, and so their sales per franchise are stronger. Their their fixed operations is much stronger, and so even though facility expenses are quite high. The, their fixed absorption tends to also be the highest in the industry. And I, I think that's why we continue to see such big demand for luxury. We also saw significant demand for Toyota and we actually increased Toyota's blue sky multiple in the most recent report because we, we just continue to see their, their partnership business model is, is highly valuable to those that are looking to invest in, in our industry. The domestics remain the largest percentage of the buy-sell market, and, and that's largely because they represent a, a huge percentage of franchises. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of domestic franchises out there, so that's a little bit misleading simply because they uh, th there are so many franchises that are being sold, and certainly a lot of families have had them for a long time, and so it's not surprising to see that that play out in the in the market. Okay, um, coming off the roller coaster of 2020, Aaron, what do you think the latest Blue Sky report says 
about the state of the auto dealership industry, especially in light of, you know, the rooms and the Carvanas of the world have been getting a lot of airtime. Um, you know, what is this, what does all of this mean? Well, I think that, that the industry is in very, very good uh, spot. It is, you know, dealers cut expenses. They're, they're very lean. And while, while there's certainly concern about the chip crisis and inventory levels, dealers have have successfully increased their gross profit margins per vehicle, frankly, back to where they, they used to be when there was mm-hmm. significant margin in, in new vehicles. And, and I expect they will continue to do so throughout the year, coupled with the fact that we have fixed, fixed, uh, operations, service and parts business coming back quite strongly as as the the population gets vaccinated and is starts, you know, everyone's on the move right now. So I'm yeah. very happy to be out and about. And yeah. so I, I expect, again, the highest margin part of our business model is going to come back. And and that that coupled with these continued strong margins that we're seeing in the front end, of our business means that that 2021 is going to be a highly profitable year. Now, as it relates to these disruptors like Carvana, you know, I think that if anything, they've just highlighted how much opportunity there is in our industry. While they certainly are capturing a lot of attention uh, and certainly valuation on Wall Street, uh, I think more than anything, they highlight that that this industry has so many opportunities for continued earnings growth and and what Carvana has proven to us is is there's even more opportunity for higher valuations frankly in 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 our industry for those that continue to innovate. Mm-hmm. Well, when you joined us last spring, Aaron, I remember you predicting that 2020 it was looking pretty bad at that point. Um, you predicted that 2020 wasn't going to be so dire for dealers, and you were very right. Can you share some of your forecast for the rest of 2021? Well, I, I, I guess it's better to be lucky than smart. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, that was my gut, and it turned out to be right. In terms of 2021, I think 2021 is going to be an unbelievable year for earnings in our industry. How sustainable this level of earnings is uh, certainly a question mark. I, I think 2021 is going to be amazing. I do know that our that our economy is getting quite hot, uh, mm-hmm. and certainly there are some risk factors out there of overheating. Um, so that's something I, I'm keeping a keen eye on, uh, as well as certainly some changes in in tax code that that could make it more difficult yeah. for those who are considering an exit to exit in 2022. Mm-hmm. And that could also dampen valuations, uh, um, those changes in tax code. So I'd say it, it feels to me like 2021 will be a potentially a peak valuation year for dealerships. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also am aware that we as an economy typically do, we are a cyclical economy uh, in the US. And so we have had a very long run. And uh, I would expect that in the next five years, we do see certainly some 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 challenges in the future. I, I don't know when those come, but 
I, it does feel like 2021 is an incredible year for those who are considering an exit to, to exit the business if that works for them or to continue to grow because certainly mm-hmm. there's a lot of capital out there to put to work and we do have low interest rates for the consumer and a lot of stimulus yeah. coming out and so it, it, in the immediate future it, it everything seems very very bright I just, um, like I think everyone on the line, am, am hopeful that continues, though I know that um, all, all good things eventually do come to an end. <laughs> um, I, do, I do expect that the good things will continue through till 2022, at least. Well, that's great to hear. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything we missed that you'd like to note before we close this one out? You know, the one thing that I will say that we we have noticed and we spoke to it in our blue sky report is that the the zoom economy that has come out of covid in which employees are now untethered to their expensive Mm -hmm. downtown offices in whatever city that might be that urban environment has really enabled professionals to to pick up and relocate in many cases their families to more affordable uh, areas with with some attractive dynamics particularly the states of texas and florida which actually captured over 50 percent of the population change in 2020 of the top 10 states that saw growth so they really were were uh, had outsized growth relative to mm. other states, and uh, about five hundred over five hundred thousand people moved to those states last year. And I, what we are seeing is that while the buy sell market is very very strong, we are seeing a a a bias towards states with population growth and uh, business friendly dynamics, such yeah. as such as low regulation or no zero state income tax in the case of Texas and Florida. And so we are seeing valuations in those states, those high growth states, in some cases, one to two times higher than the multiples we publish, especially in the case of Texas and Florida. Buyers are are very eager to to own stores in those those Mm. two states. And so the valuations reflect that it's simply an economic situation. There's uh, less supply and more demand. And so that's certainly something that that uh, we we are keeping a close eye on and and are experiencing for our clients that are based in those states that their valuations are are higher than than the general average in the in the industry. the The other trend that I'd like to point out before we close up here today is that mm-hmm. we're also seeing that, that sellers are increasingly expecting their valuations to be based off of the 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 most recent earnings performance and mm. so there is there is a increasingly a challenge i think to some degree between buyers and sellers where buyers are a little bit nervous about the sustainability of of 2020s earnings whereas sellers say look i'm not going to i'm not going to sell this business i continue to make this kind of money in 2021 mm-hmm. so i'm not going to sell at a, 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 a discount to my current earnings level so i i do think valuation will continue to be um valuation is going to be very strong there's no question in that but i will i do think that buyers and sellers are going to 
um, be have, they're going to be having some arm wrestles, uh, if you mm-hmm. will, uh, this year as to 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 where valuations should land. And it and it is challenging because earnings were up forty eight percent last year. So it, that's that that's a pretty pretty big bump in a single year. Yeah. And I do think that's going to be one of the one of the challenges that that buyers and sellers are going to have is is coming to agreement on valuation. Well, you've been very informative today, Erin, as usual. Um, I'm glad we were able to get you back on here. Um, yeah, anything else you wanted to add one more time before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. Thank okay. you again, as always, for having me. And, um, and of course, always happy to answer anyone's questions or have confidential conversations with any dealers that want to talk shop. All right. Well, thanks, Erin. Have a good one. And we'll look forward to having you on Beltway Talk again when I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about. Perfect. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening into this episode of Beltway Talk featuring Erin Kerrigan and the buy-sell market. As a note, you can find links to the Blue Sky Report, which he talked about here, and other leading auto resources and publications in our automotive resource library. It's available on our website at aiada.org library. Join us again next time for Beltway Talk.